And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. We have news. The DC Universe has found its Superman. Welcome, everybody. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hutt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi for Me. Glad to have all of you with us. Here we go. I gotta say, it was not unexpected, but uh, we have all that. Want to give a shout out to everybody who is listening to this as podcast. You are more than welcome to join us for the live video uh, on YouTube, Odyssey, Rumble, Twitch, Kick. Is that is that all five? Is that all five? Yeah. And. Uh, we talked about this a little bit last night. We're going to get into other aspects of it today. And you can leave a comment. Uh, if you're here live, you can join us in the chat. If you're not here with us live, you can leave a comment or send an email live from the bunker at sci fi for mecom Or join us on the Discord server. And we will talk about this. The Superman and Lois Lane casting. We're going to get into that here in just a second. A couple of things uh, prior to that, however, this news broke uh, yesterday evening. Uh, they did find the body of Julian Sands uh, in uh, in California near near Mount Baldy. And Mrs. Boss tells me that that's a, a fairly treacherous area anyway I think is that what you were telling me because Mount Baldy is not a good place to be were you is that what you were telling me because you mentioned something about it I mentioned that I went to school at the oh. colleges at the base and we would go up there to go drinking oh okay never mind anyway so yeah so Julian Sands uh, confirmed dead and it looks like he died back in January when he first disappeared. Uh, so our condolences to his family and friends and colleagues. Uh, it's um, it, it, not unexpected news, but um, it's always sad to have something like that happen. Okay, so uh, this other thing here. Oh, my chair. All right, so this other thing is just a really quick thing. Because uh, we've been talking about Indiana Jones 5. We're going to go see it tonight at a preview screening. Uh, I will I will share my thoughts at some point. <coughs> but we have a preview screening tonight for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. But this one item, Hollywood Reporter talked to Phoebe Waller-Bridge about exiting Mr. and Mrs. Smith. This was the TV adaptation of the the Brad Pitt Angelina Jolie movie uh, that she was going to do with Donald Glover, because of course they look exactly the same as as Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. But uh, at one point in all this, and I, I don't care about any of this, but at one point in this, somebody asks her about the rumor. <laughs> Here we go. 
the rumor that Phoebe Waller-Bridge could be directing the next James Bond movies. <coughs> now, she laughs it off. <laughs> She's like, my mother sent me that rumor. Yeah, oh, that's silly. I don't know where it is. Okay. Based on my experience with the media, based on conversations that I have had with people like Cameron Pasha and Culture Casino and Matt Kadish and in all various different places, I see this and I think, yeah, right, she's laughing it off. But wait, why even mention it in the first place unless it's a thing? Because this is the Hollywood Reporter. This is not just some, you know, this is not comic book resources. This is not... We got it covered. This is not, ain't it cool news? I mean, it, it, it's this is one of the major trades. So they ask her about it, and she laughs it off. <laughs> I have grown in my cynicism enough to suspect this could be a trial balloon. This could be one of those, well, what if... She's supposed to be directing the next James Bond movie. Maybe this is a very, very initial, early thing to see what kind of reaction people give. I, I'm just floating that idea. I'm not saying that that's the case, but, um, yeah. Anyway, we also got this, and it does not want to make me see this new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem thing any more uh, than I already didn't want to see it, but here are the character cards for everybody with their their actors who are playing the characters. I didn't realize that Paul Rudd was in this, but I'm looking at this. I'm thinking I don't I don't have any I don't have any desire any need to see this movie. I really, I, I don't. Anyway, so there we are. All right, let me let me say hi to people in the chat. I don't see. Uh, let's see, Bianca hadn't shown up over there on uh, on Rumble yet. Nobody on Odyssey. Um, I say that we've got people watching on those platforms. Feel free to jump in to the chat. Um, okay, uh, YouTube, Cam, Keely, Michael, uh, let's see, uh, uh, says, do you see all the Valiant, Valiant Renegade was mentioned on Gutfield last night? I saw that, uh, and yes, Michael, I do think that YouTube streamers are having an impact. I do think that we are contributing to the new Zeitgeist-ish so, um, as far as, Michael, as far as Tom is concerned on the new Ninja Turtles thing, he, he very early on said he's not interested in it. He hates the animation style because they're going, they're going after, uh, the, the, across the Spider-Verse crowd. Um, he's not, I, I have not seen him say anything positive about this, about this, uh, film at all. And, and there are so many people. Uh, there are so many people now who are turned off by Seth Rogen's involvement in anything. So it's, yeah, it's not likely to be 
uh, anything that Tom's going to want to say. I, I, you, you could, you could ask him, but I don't see him having any interest in this at all. So let me fix my camera color there. All right. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, Valiant was mentioned on Gutfeld. I, he also got quoted on Breitbart, which I think is how he got on Gutfeld's radar. Um, look, I, we need to, we need to be careful. And, and it's great that he's getting that kind of attention. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I'm, I, that's great. But we need to be careful that we don't sit there and start patting ourselves on the back too much and buying into our own press because that's what the legacy media has done. You know, we're great. We're wonderful. We're the arbiters of thought. And we've got to stay humble, folks. We've got to stay grounded. We have to stay accountable. And we have to own up to our mistakes when we make mistakes. And we have to be open to the possibility that we're wrong. I mean, there's all sorts of things. There's, there's, this, there's this pit that we could fall into if we buy our own press and think that we're, you know, we're the bee's knees and stuff. So it, it's great that, that channels are getting that attention. We just got to make sure that it doesn't go to our heads. That's all I'm going to say. And I'm not saying that Valiant's doing that. Be clear. I'm not saying that Valiant's getting a big head. I'm not. I'm not. I'm saying we need to guard against it. That's what I'm saying. All right. So uh, here we go. Superman casting. We talked about this a little bit on the H2O podcast last night. The link is in the notes. Superman Legacy cast David Corenswet, Rachel Brosnahan as Clark Kent and Lois Lane. This is Variety. It's also been reported in The Hollywood Reporter and Deadline and everywhere else. Uh, and James Gunn has taken to Twitter to confirm this news. So this is official. Remember, James Gunn uh, uh, adopted a policy a while back saying, I'm, I'm not going to spend all of my time trying to debunk all these rumors. I will confirm when things are accurate. And he got on there yesterday saying this is accurate. So here are our new Clark Kent and Lois Lane. Um, Corn Sweat is 29. Uh, Brosnahan is 32. I have not seen either one of them in anything. Uh, Brosnahan is the lead in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is critically acclaimed. It's won awards and everybody thinks it's great. So she's got a track record. From the article, DC Studios has knighted a new Clark Kent and Lois Lane. David Cornsweat and Rachel Brosnahan will play the coveted parts in James Gunn's Superman Legacy. <clears throat> the latest on-screen iteration of the iconic comic book hero will largely be a workplace origin story, Gunn said, when he and fellow DC steward Peter Safran laid out their narrative plans in January. I'm not exactly sure that that's what Gunn said. I don't think, I don't think it's a workplace story. It's not really an origin story either. I mean, it's, it's younger Superman in his early days figuring out how to balance 
life as Clark Kent with the Kryptonian hero stuff that he does, but I haven't gotten the impression from James Gunn that this is a workplace thing. That that starts to suggest to me workplace comedy, and that's not what this is going to be. I hope. It could very well be that somebody is reading something into James Gunn's comments and and getting that out of it, but I don't know. There's Death Angel Shadow showing up in the chat. A couple of unheard of actors. Well, not really. They they're established, um, and I think I think Corn Sweat's probably got more of a track record than Chris Reeve did when he was cast in uh, in the first Superman movie by R- Richard Donner. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I haven't heard of him before his name got kicked around for this, uh, but he's been in things. I saw, what was what was the thing? Uh, they may mention it here. Gunn is directing the project from his own screenplay based on the character created by Jerry Sigal to Shooter. Okay. Um, it focuses on Superman balancing his Kryptonian heritage with his human upbringing, Saffron said earlier this year when he and Gunn unveiled a lengthy block of planned DC films and series. He is the embodiment of truth, justice, and the American way. He has kindness in a world that thinks of kindness as old-fashioned. All of that stuff has me leaning toward favorable view of this project so far. I want confirmation that he's going to be wearing the red trunks. We talked about this a little bit last night. One of the things that I want from the casting, uh, from the costume people, stop giving me textured costumes. Just give me the basic red and blue tights and the red boots and the cape, and I'm good. It doesn't have to look foofy, foofy, foofy. Everybody's costume is foofy, foofy, foofies. Has been since since Brandon Routh's, you know, on on Superman Superman Returns. Stop doing that. It looks stupid. Star Trek did it. It looks dumb. Star Trek's still doing it. Strange New Worlds is doing it. It looks dumb. Stop doing that. Just give me a basic shirt, a basic uniform, a basic costume. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to look weird. I know you're on the big picture. It's a motion picture, and you've got to have a lot of money to spend. Don't, don't spend it on your costume. Just give me a, just give me a basic Superman outfit. His mother made it. It doesn't have to be fancy. She doesn't have that kind of textile plant in her barn. Just give me a basic Superman suit. All right? All right. Uh, This is a star-making moment for Corn Sweat, whose marquee idol... Looks and whose marquee idol looks and Midwestern charm helped him anchor Hollywood, where he played an aspiring actor moonlighting as a sex worker in the buttoned-up 1940s. He earned widespread acclaim for his breakout performance in Netflix's *The Politician*, as well as the celebrated horror indie film *Pearl* from A24. A24 has got a pretty good track record now. He also wrote, directed, and starred in the web sketch comedy series Moe and Jerry Weather. He will next be seen opposite Natalie Portman in Apple's The Lady in the Lake. He is repped by CAA and, and uh, Lady in the Lake. Is that? 
In what? Twisters. He's coming up in Twisters? Okay. Brosnahan has a well-established profile and a mantle full of golden trophies for her work on Amazon's long-running The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Is it, is it long-running? Are we considering four or five seasons long-running now? When you look at how often things... Yeah, you When know. you look at how often things are canceled? Yeah. Yeah. running now to yeah well that's true well and i i was reading in uh, i was reading in maureen ryan's book burn it down and uh there is a general consensus apparently in hollywood that these networks and these streaming services don't want to go past three seasons for anything anymore unless it's absolutely breakout hit big box office you know it's everybody loves it critically acclaimed you know it's got all the eyeballs on it so um uh, she broke out in Netflix's House of Cards. She recently starred opposite Benedict Cumberbatch in Lionsgate's The Courier, and alongside Christoph Waltz and Willem Dafoe in director Walter Hill's 2022 Western De Dead for a Dollar. Okay, so they've got track records, and they both have experience with period pieces. I find that interesting. And they both actually were on House of Cards. Were, was he on House of Cards as well? He okay. had a he had a little bit of a moment, or he had a thing there. Um, some of the other ones that she's done: Orange Is the New Black, Grey's Anatomy. Um, oh, there was a couple of other ones that are people know the Blacklist. Yeah, stuff like that. So, well, let us see. Let's see where David Cornsweet is from, shall we? How about we look at this. Because uh, who is this guy? He's from Philly, apparently. So here's Cornsweet, born on the 8th of July. He's got a birthday coming up. In 1993. So, hey, this year... He's going to be 30. Philadelphia. Let's see what his tracker is. We've got uh, actor. No, wait. I do want to see. Uh. All right. So he's got, he's got a track record here. Actor. Upcoming Twisters, Superman Legacy, Lady in the Lake, uh, He's Been a Pearl, We Own the City, The Politician, Acting for a Cause, House of Cards, Affairs of State, Elementary. Um, so he doesn't have a, a long tracker. He started acting in 2011, looks like. Um, but he's got, he's, got some, he's got some chops, I guess. He's got the look, that's for sure. Um, they need to give him the spit curl. Now, the the graphic that I the photograph that I used in the uh, in the thumbnail, he's kind of got a little bit of that going, uh, and it looks like he can do that. You could slick his hair back for Clark Kent, and then give him the spit curl and let it go loose for for Superman, and I think that would work. 
wouldn't it be something, and I know they're not going to do this, but wouldn't it be something if we got a 1940s Superman and Lois Lane? What if, the Le- what if Legacy was set in the 1940s? I don't think we're going to get a period piece, but I think that would be fun. I don't know. So he's from Philly. Uh, so not a British actor playing an American superhero for once in a while. How, how long has it been since, uh, since we've had an American Superman on the big screen? Let's see here. Um, Keeley says, I blame Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie, for all these movie superhero costumes looking weird. Was that out before Superman Returns? Because Superman Returns was the first one where I noticed it. We were doing all the little texture stuff in the costume. And then when Star Trek did it, you had all of the little deltas. In the, in the suit, in the fabric. Like, how much does it cost to make that kind of crap? Stop doing that. Because it doesn't even show up. It, it just shows up and it's got a texture. You don't even see what it actually is. You're wasting money. Uh, Michael says, A good actor can make you believe. Chris Reeve made us believe a man could fly. But so did Al, Al Pacino and Scarface. Uh, okay. Uh, Death Angel Shadows is supernatural. Went a few beyond three seasons. So did Stargate, Buffy, Star Trek: The Next Generation, Voyager. Yeah, they did, and and that was back in the that day was, when yeah, how long ago you were getting you were getting twenty twenty two episodes. You know, nowadays you're lucky to get ten, eight, twelve. I mean, the model has completely changed, and a lot of that has to do with the 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 way networks and streaming services, streaming services especially. How much they want to pay for a show because if you're if you're doing you know a budget of a million dollars per episode, I'm pulling a number just out of the air. But if you've got a, a million dollars per episode for for a show, then eight episodes is a whole lot cheaper than twenty two. And, well, and I just plus with people binge watching, how many people are going to sit there and have an entire season of twenty two episodes drop? That are an hour long or yeah. 43 minutes because, you know, commercials if they existed. But, I mean, how many people are going to sit and binge that? Right. Well, and... People's exten- uh, attention spans. Look at, look at Star Trek Prodigy. Star Trek Prodigy was, tw- what, 20 episodes? First season's 20 episodes. 22 episodes. It's, something, it's like it's a real season. Well, And, what, and now you, it's gone. I think you remember me sitting there being like, wait a minute. Wait. There's more? <laughs> yeah, because... because and, and that could be one of the reasons why it got axed. Because if you're doing 20 or 22, 22 episodes per season, nowadays, you're spending a whole lot more money than the networks want to. So it's entirely possible that season two... You know, they, they looked at the books and they said, you know what? This Prodigy thing's a little too expensive because we're making too many episodes. It's a cartoon. It's a cartoon, but cartoons are expensive because you're having to animate everything. You're having to create everything. I mean, it's it's relative. Yeah, everything's relative. But, you know, Michael says the BBC Sky and ITV might disagree with 22 episodes. Well, see, and that's the thing. We're, everybody is now doing the British model. And that's not always good. 
Well, at least if you're watching Sherlock, you have three episodes that are two hours long. Yeah, but... So you get, I mean, yes, but at least you get a full story arc in each one that leads to the next one. And unlike regular movies, they actually work together, and that center movie <coughs> is just as good as the first and the third. Mm-hmm. Quality. I guess. Hey, it depends. Sherwood, it depends. Sher- uh, Sherlock was good. Okay. Whenever they get around to season four. <laughs> yeah, Death Angel Shadow says, "I hate the British model unless what Mrs. Boss just said: two to three hour episodes." See, and and I, I'm at the point now <coughs> where if I'm going to watch something, the first three episodes, the first three hours are my make-or-break point. If you don't have me hooked in the first three episodes, then I don't have any reason to stick around. I don't have any reason to watch. Unless I'm being forced to. Unless I'm obligated to because, you know, what we do here. But at the same time, if you're being crushed into a small time frame versus like what the British model does, it gives it more chance to breathe to grab you in that first couple hours. Yeah. Just a thought. Oh, here we go. Uh, here is here is something here. This is Hollywood Reporter doing a profile on David Corn Sweat. He's a Juilliard grad, same as Christopher Reeve. Uh, he graduated from Juilliard in 2016, landed a guest role in House of Cards in 2018. Born and raised in Philly, father worked as a stage actor for many years before joining his wife as a lawyer. Uh, so he's got performance in his blood, looks like. And stage actors have a work ethic that you might not find from regular movie actors. Uh, so in, that's that's interesting. Uh, I'm curious to see whether or not the screen test footage is actually going to make it out into the world. Because part of this process... They wanted to get the screen. They wanted to get the casting done before SAG decided to go on strike. That's one thing, <coughs> and they did the screen tests in costume. So there is somewhere there's footage, there's photos of David Corinsweat in costume as Superman. So I'm curious to see what that looks like. I want to know which suit they use. Which suit did they use for the costume test, for the screen test? Was it Christopher Reeve's suit? (coughs) Was it Henry Cavill's suit? Was it Brandon Routh's suit? Because they used the Brandon Routh, they used the Superman Returns suit on Tom Welling the last episode of Smallville. So, (coughs) uh, Road Vagabond Life. My flux capacitor has been acting up, which keeps making me late for live events. Well, as long as you're here. As long as you're here. Um, David says, it might be the worst part of being a TV superhero having to wear the same clothing over and over again. You know, it's it, it does kind of work for the wardrobe budget, though. I mean, you're going to have more than one, but see, here's, here's the thing. The Superman costume is so iconic 
because of what it looks like and, and because of the history of it. You have to remember, those of you who are of an age, you will remember when Jerry Siegel and Joel Schuster first came up with this idea of a Superman. The first time, he was a villain. This Superman that they came up with in Cleveland and sold to D.C., this one <coughs> has its roots in the Circus Strongman. And the costume is the same way. The circus strongman wears the wears the tight leotard. It's got the it's got the 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 shorts uh, to break up the visual. And you know the circus strongman he's he's usually not wearing a shirt, so you can see all of the muscles because he's a strongman, right? And and you're going to see all of the muscles as they work when he's lifting all of these heavy things like elephants and 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 skyscrapers and whatnot. So the origin of the costume is Circus Strongman and, you know, the early days of wrestling and that kind of thing. And I think if they do this, they need to lean into that. They need to embrace that part of if, if you're going to call this thing legacy, then we need to see Superman's legacy. I hope it's not a flashback movie. I just had that thought. I hope it's not a flashback movie. Keela says, Batman and Superman are the only two superheroes who can pull off wearing underwear on the outside. Well, except it's not. And I, I get the gag. I get the joke. But they're not the only ones. You have, let's see, who else? Now that I'm thinking about that, all of the costumes are pretty much different. So, I mean, there are there are a number of costumes that nowadays probably wouldn't even count as costumes. They're so skimpy. Um, Michael says, don't forget Spanish telenovelas, an entire 20 or 40, 60 episode whatever series with a definite ending all filmed. Uh, weekly on the first run, then rebroadcast on Telemundo. Well, you had, uh, uh, I mean, you look at the, the soap operas, especially the ones that are still going after 50 or 60 some odd years. They've been going five days a week for how many, how many weeks a year and how many years? But that's a completely different model. They don't require a whole lot in the way of effects. They shoot, they edit in camera. Yeah, you know, it's it's shot in a studio, three camera setup, and you've got the switcher right there, and all you got to do is just hit the buttons and go back and forth. They'll rehearse it, they'll shoot it, and and they go. And maybe you get two takes, three takes, done, finished, shoot the next scene. So it's a completely, it's a completely different thing. So. Michael is asking if you're good with that. I don't know what it is that he's asking about. Um, six episode blocks every day. I guess maybe he's asking you about the, the telenovela type of schedule, if you'd be good with that, Mrs. Boss. Huh? Not paying attention. Mrs. Boss, Michael is asking if you'd be good with the telenovela schedule of 40 or 60 episodes in a run. Sure. Okay. Back to whatever it was you were doing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. 
anyway, all right. So I'm I let's let's take a real quick break, and when we get back, I want to talk a little bit more about this whole idea of Superman Legacy and what James Gunn brings to the table because he has said some things that well we're going to talk about the things what he said right after this stand by look up in the sky it's a bird it's a plane it's sci-fi for me radio hi everyone jason hunt here inviting you to join us every saturday morning for news the week's headlines in science fiction fantasy horror comic books video games plus comic con updates and the weather and the occasional interview along the way. We call it Good Morning Multiverse. We hope you join us every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central, right here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Back live from the bunker, Jason Hunt here, along with all of you. Whether you are here with us live or in Memorex, I do want you to share your thoughts. Leave a comment, send an email, live from the bunker at sci fi for mecom And like I said, we are going to be seeing Indiana Jones in the Dial of Destiny tonight. It is Wednesday, so... Uh, that movie's out this weekend. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just, I got a, I got a feeling. I got a feeling, and I don't think Cowbell's going to fix it. <clears throat> oh, I don't know. Anyway, all right, so, um, so we've got Superman Legacy as the first live-action film in this new DC universe that James Gunn and Peter Safran are putting together. And in a recent appearance on the Inside of You podcast with Michael Rosenbaum, who played Lex Luthor in Smallville, he voiced the Flash in Justice League in uh, just, the, the Justice League cartoon. Um, <clears throat> he had some interesting things to say about superhero movies, which he's about to make a whole lot of. And it's interesting to see what he says. Um, let's let's get into this because in in the beginning, the first thing you know, we're talking about the David Cornsweet, Rachel Brosnahan casting. Somebody asked him over on some app called Blue Sky. I don't know what this is. Uh, he was asked about what the hardest part of casting was, uh, and he says when when you get this far into the process the actors are really invested and he said the hardest the hardest part is telling somebody they didn't get the job but uh, they also asked him about the approval process and he's making it very clear here uh, that there's not a bunch of layers of oversight he says we'll show the footage to David Zaslav who's the CEO but Zaslav trusts them with the casting decisions. So it sounds like DC Films, under James Gunn and Peter Safran, they're acting rather independently without a whole lot of corporate oversight, which is good. This is good. You don't want your studio suits 
mucking about and interfering with the process of making your movie because too many cooks in the kitchen ends up with Snyderverse. What? Half of the bad stuff that ends up on the TV. Half? You're, you're going with half? I'm being nice. Oh, okay. PG show. Uh-huh. All right. So here's, here's James Gunn showing up on Michael Rosenbaum's podcast. And he says here, people have gotten really lazy with their superhero stories. I'm quoting. And they've gotten to the place where, oh, it's a superhero, let's make a movie about it. And then, oh, let's make a sequel because the first one did pretty well. And they aren't thinking about why is this story special? What makes this story stand apart from other stories? What is the story at the heart of it all? Why is this character important? What makes this story different that it fills a need for people in theaters to go see? And that's an excellent point. We've talked about the Marvel formula, the fact that a lot of these superhero films are starting to feel a little generic. And uh, he says here, he says, people have gotten a little lazy and there's a lot of Biff Pow Bam stuff happening in movies. And I'm watching third acts of superhero films where I really just don't feel like there's a rhyme or reason to what's happening. I don't care about the characters and they've gotten too generic. This is something that we've talked about uh, on a number of occasions here, and a lot of people have talked about this on various different podcasts and a lot of different YouTube channels and whatnot. The fact that most, a lot of these movies, especially in these later phases, a lot of these movies break down in the third act. Wonder Woman is a good example of that. <clears throat> Not Wonder Woman 1984. Wonder Woman 1984 breaks down the whole, the whole, the whole first, second, and third act. But Wonder Woman, the first one directed by Patty Jenkins, breaks down in the third act. When you get to that whole final reveal and the big God of War and the battle and the whoosh, I mean, there's no story there. It's like, wait a minute. What just happened? I am suddenly feel like I'm watching a completely different movie. And the third act is where you have to stick the landing. And a lot of them don't. Or it's messy. It's muddled. It it's it's it. It doesn't always quite work. And Gunn talking on this on this podcast, he's he's talking about, you know, how do you make these stories different? How do you make them worth watching, worth the attention? And I think he's got an interesting he's got an interesting thing that he says uh, where he's talking about how you could make different kinds of movies and make them superhero movies. Which is why I think Marvel Cinematic Universe worked so well in phase one, two, and three, because they were making other kinds of movies with superheroes in them. You had the crime thriller, you had the spy thriller, you had the, you know, I mean, Civil War was an espionage thriller, all, all or Winter Soldier, rather. All of these were other kinds of movies with superheroes in them. <coughs> and and Gunn, I think, has tapped into what what could be the key to making these movies work going forward is if they're looking at this as a, a movie 
about a thing, whatever the MacGuffin is, or if it's a spy movie, it's a crime thriller, it's romance, it could be a, a supernatural, it could be body horror. He's got, a, he's got a, a great opportunity for body horror with Swamp Thing. Supernatural stuff, magic, aliens, whatever kind of story he tells. If he tells that kind of story and puts superheroes in it, then you have the opportunity to do much more with those characters as characters with depth and dimension and, and arcs. They're not the same at the end of the story as they were at the beginning of the story. They're affected by what happens in those, in those you know, hour and a half, two hours that, that we're with them. <coughs> There's potential here for this stuff. And I think that if he's going to be doing this kind of thing where he's talking about, you know, the kind of movies and, and make them less generic, now they're not just, like he says, the Biff Bam Pow type where your climax in every film is this gargantuan special effects heavy fisticuffs piece action set. You don't have to have that every single time. You know what I would like to see for the Batman movie? We'll say you know because we got Batman Brave in the boat. We've got Batman and Robin that's coming. Here's what here's what you could do. You could turn this whole thing on its head in terms of the action sequence at the climax. Instead of a giant battle where there's explosions and buildings falling down and and guns and 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 bodies and whatnot, you do. Two people. Let's say if it's going to be the, the Joker. I hope it's not the Joker as the Batman as 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 the villain in that one. But let's just just for for the purposes of illustration, I would I would see there's a scene in the Killing Joke, and I and I hate even referencing the Killing Joke now because the Killing Joke did more damage to the to the comics industry than it did good. But there's uh, there's the, the confrontation between Batman and the Joker in the Hall of Mirrors, in the House of Mirrors, in that thing, in the amusement park. They're, they're chasing each other. They're walking through, and you know, there's confrontation, and there's dialogue, and there's back and forth, and, he's, and, it's, and it's very contained, and it's very small, but it's very meaningful because you have all of this stuff going on between them and they're not in the same room I mean they're not together and you could do something like that as your final set piece your your third act where the characters have to be smart they have to think with their brains and not with their fists I'm perfectly fine with that kind of a third act. It doesn't have to be Biff, Bam, Pow, Rick 'em, Rock 'em, robots shoot them, every, you know, shoot them up and bring down the buildings. And we don't need that in every single movie. Uh, uh, Keely, I did not watch the animated movie. I have it, but I heard enough about it, and I thought, well, I don't know that I want to do that. I probably at some point. Should, 
But the prospect of seeing Batman and Barbara Gordon's Batgirl get it on on a rooftop just to fill time to make, you know, pad out the uh, the movie, I, I don't I don't know that I want to see that. Uh, Alexander Trapp over on a kick. He says the animated killing joke is eh. I heard some people talking about it with loathing with what they did, that whole thing with, with Batman and Batgirl at the beginning of that movie. Because it's completely unnecessary. Absolutely unnecessary. There is no reason for it. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's icky. Barbara is like his kid, and you just, it uh, weirds me out. You don't do that. Uh, now, somebody last night during H2O, somebody mentioned uh, not wanting James Gunn's Peacemaker stuff to be included in this uh, in canon. And we do have this update here about Suicide Squad 2. James Gunn says there are no plans. This was uh, posted yesterday uh, in Yahoo, uh, comingsoon.net, I think is where it originally or. Uh, originated. Director James Gunn has confirmed there are no plans to make Suicide Squad 2. Uh, in 2021, Gunn released The Suicide Squad, a DC superhero movie he wrote and directed. This movie was a reboot of the 2016 film Suicide Squad. When asked about it on the Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum podcast, Gunn responded, is there a Suicide Squad 2? No. However, he confirmed that after he finished his work in the upcoming DC Universe Superman Legacy, he would get started on Peacemaker Season 2 and the Waller TV series starring Viola Davis as the character. Now, we know that the Waller series is coming as part of this first wave of whatever he's calling gods and monsters this phase. So Waller is, is on the list. Peacemaker Season 2 is not. So far... I have not seen anything anywhere that would indicate that Peacemaker Season 2 is in the works. Having said that, there is word that Waller is the in-between. The, the first season of Waller is going to take place between Peacemaker Season 1 and Peacemaker Season 2. So there's an indication that we're going to get Peacemaker Season 2 after Waller. And Gunn talks about it every now and again. But right now, there's nothing on the books for Peacemaker Season 2. Uh, Michael says, uh, remember, it's Gordon who doesn't break, and that's who Joker is going for. I suspect they did his human eye bet. Oh, the thing with the thing with Batgirl. No, the only reason they did it, <clears throat> according to what I've heard, <clears throat> the, there were two reasons to do it. Uh, because Bruce Tim wanted to, and because the script adapting just the book was not long enough for a proper animated feature runtime. And so they had to pad it with a little bit of something. And they said, well, you know, let's let's give Bruce a little bit more of a of a you know, this horrified thing what happens to Barbara. <coughs> and you're right, uh, you know, it was it was supposed to break Gordon. Joker was going after uh, uh, Jim Gordon to prove all you need is one bad day and you snap. And Gordon didn't. Um, 
But see, and that goes back to that whole thing about you know the the stuff in the in the in the House of Mirrors. You know, Joker's like, I bet you had a bad day, didn't you? Why else would you dress up as a flying rodent? You know, there's a lot of really good dialogue in that in that scene. But yeah, that that whole thing with with Bruce and Barbara that just is that's just creepy. It just it just doesn't work for me, and I, I'm like, I just, that's that's what's keeping me from ever putting that disc in the player and watching it. At some point, I probably should, just so I'm informed, because you know, due diligence here. But yeah, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Um. <clears throat> We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. By the way, speaking of Warner, a lot of people upset about uh, about the gutting of Turner Classic Movies. Let me let me just let me just share one thought here about that. Turner Classic Movies, uh, TCM, has been this repository for archive. I mean, it's it's a film library that rivals the Criterion Collection. I mean, you have Criterion Collection, you have Turner Classic Movies. And this is a place where you can find all sorts of classic films that have been preserved. I mean, the entire idea was to preserve film history and all of this stuff. And, and, and Zaslav, Warner Brothers Discovery, they're, they're cutting budget. I mean, they are so far in the red they have to make cuts everybody's doing that i mean it's not just warner everybody's having to make cuts and so they fire a lot of the executives at turner classic movies who were responsible for maintaining the library who who are the ones that are just like the caretakers and people panic and steven spielberg and martin scorsese and who was the who who was the third one that went they all went over to say you can't you can't lose TCM. This is a valuable resource. And here's my thought. TCM Turner Classic Movies as a as a film history preservation operation only has value as that if they don't censor the material. And you would think Criterion would be resistant to that. Criterion Collection, that was their bread and butter. That was their whole mission when they started was film history and the preservation of film and the preservation of movies. And now the digital versions of certain films have been altered on Criterion. French Connection was the big one that blew up here not too long ago. But if Criterion, uh, among all of the others, if Criterion can be compromised, then Turner Classic Movies can be compromised. 
And if that's the case, then you'd better be going out and getting all of these films on physical media as quickly as you can snap them up because they will disappear and they will get 1984'd faster than you can spit. Except for what? Highlander 2. What is that? <laughs> I've never heard I've, I've never heard of this. Y y you know. You're talking about the TV series? <clears throat> you know it's going to be the one that they leave alone and out there. It's going to be part of our punishment uh -huh. for resisting. Yeah. <coughs> They're talking about the uh, the colorization in the chat. Um, I was one of those purists. I you do not colorize and the colorization process has gotten better over the last 30 some odd years but there is no reason to colorize a black and white movie it is black and white so leave it black and white there's no reason for it to be in color the 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 preservation the the idea is to preserve what it was when it came out. And Bringing Up Baby, for example, is a black and white movie. Leave it black and white. Citizen Kane is a black and white movie. Leave it black and white. There's no reason to colorize these films. And yeah, Turner, Turner caught a lot of flack for that. But Turner Classic Movies is a valuable resource for a lot of people. And, and, you know, you get to see a lot of, I mean, Fathom Events partners with TCM, and you get to see all sorts of classic films that way. Casablanca, The Music Man. I mean, sure. But we are living in a day and age now where Roald Dahl gets rewritten, where R.L. Stein gets rewritten, and nobody told him, and he's like, hey, wait a minute, nobody told me this was happening, and I'm sure he's having conversations with somebody. What's next? I mean, Agatha Christie's been on that target list. Who else gets censored and rewritten for the modern era? And the media will go right along with it. We're seeing that now with NBC defending this... defending this chant at a parade... With regard to children, there's like, oh, they've always been saying that. It's just, just, they're just, they're just making that up. No, they haven't always been saying that. They're just now saying it out in the open. Well, and there's a difference between a fully dressed person <coughs> saying that and a naked person. Well, there's that too. Casablanca is not in color. There is no Casablanca in color. Casablanca was in black and white. And no, I have no desire to see Casablanca in color. Although there is a there is a Mission Impossible that takes place partly in Casablanca. So, I mean, you can see Casablanca in color in Mission Impossible. What was that, Rogue Nation? Well, the one we just watched? Yes. Yeah, Rogue Nation. You can see Casablanca in color in Rogue Nation. Because they shot it in color in Rogue Nation. Casablanca is not in color. Uh... Road Vagabond Life. Billionaire directors warn about the need for preservations, but don't pony up a single dollar for it. That's a good point. It says Mark Twain was another one they want to censor. They want to censor a lot of them. 
and there's a lot of us out in this space that they would love to get rid of. Because we say things that people don't like. Okay. <clears throat> oh, I see. Casa Blank. Yeah, I get it. Okay, I get it now. I get it now. Uh, Michael says, my understanding is the door, the color schemes in any black and white films, call it grayscale, the directors, costumers use colors that look good in black and white and it's a bunch of color. Yes, and as a matter of fact, I actually could tell you a story about this. I had a client, carpet store, and we made, the, the guy, the owner's name was Bob. And the first commercial that we ever made was Bob's Gone Berserk. And it was the sale products and you know, all these different things. And, and the salesperson at the time at the TV station said, you know, what if we turn this thing into a series? You know, Bob's Gone, absolutely. Fine. You just figure out the Bob's Gone thing. And I ended up making over 60 Bob's Gone commercials over the course of the next three years. And one of those was Bob's Gone Batty, in which he dressed up like Batman. He was Bob Man. And we we rigged zip lines in the warehouse for him and, and the guy playing Robin to come in because Catwoman and Two-Face were changing all the prices. <clears throat> but at one point, we did Bob's Gone to Casablanca. And, you know, we did the fedoras and the, and the trench coat, you know, the whole Rick and Ilza thing and everything. And this is, a, this is one of those places where when the client says, I want to do something, and you're just like, it's just not going to be good, we'll do it. But when he said, you know, we shot it, and then I shot it for black and white. So exactly like, like Michael's talking about, the tones of the costumes were for black and white. And the hat that the girl was wearing did not match the outfit that she had on. So when we flipped to color, because the client demanded that we do it in color, because it's a flooring store, you want to see the wood floors in color. Okay, fine. We're going to put a little color in her life. Okay. But the hat and the outfit didn't match. The outfit she had on was a, a, a wine maroon color. And the hat was blue. And that doesn't work in color. But I've stuck with it. Because the client says, I want to put this part in color. I was like, Bob, I don't think it's a good idea. I didn't shoot it for color. But what can you do? It happens. As far as the whole thing with David Cornsweat and Rachel Brosnahan and what James Gunn has planned, I am, on the one hand, cautiously optimistic. On the one hand. On the other hand, I am cynical enough to think that something will go wrong and the execution will be lacking. And on the third hand... I just don't care very much. 
But we'll see what happens. There's potential here. And the fact that they're young, they can they can do more than more than one film. You know, we'll see we'll see what happens. I don't know. I just yeah. Proof's in the pudding. We'll have to wait and see. But they at least look like Clark and Lois. It's a start. All right, that's it for us today, folks. Thanks very much for being here. Don't forget, coming up on Saturday, Good Morning Multiverse at 11 a.m. Eastern, 10 Central. This is our weekly wrap-up of the news headlines for the week in everything. Science fiction, fantasy, horror, video games, comic books, all of that good stuff. Books. Books, young man, books. Everything on Good Morning Multiverse. I've already got a pile of stories uh, to be written up for that. And you can join us on all the different social media platforms and the different video platforms. We've got three followers over on Kick. So you can find us on those uh, different places there as well as the podcast platforms. Uh, Stitcher has announced that they're going away at the end of August. So if you're listening to us on Stitcher as a platform for podcasts, you're going to have to find something new. So anyway, there is that. Um, <clears throat> plus logic. It's not really that you say things people don't like. It's more like you say things... Uh, a loud, small Twitter percentage and some corporate executives in the media they control don't want others to hear and don't want others to speak up with you. Exactly, that's exactly what it is. Is you've got those 12 angry, emotionally constipated, blue-haired, checkmark children on Twitter who, who made the jump from Tumblr and all of the corporate executives who are beholden to them. That's exactly what it is. All right, thanks very much for being here, folks. Remember... The politicians hate you. They may be scared of you. The media lies to you. God has a plan for you. And there are four lights. This has been a presentation of SciFiForMe.com. Copyright 2023 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 